We're having a dump of snow early in the season in Northeast Ohio. We woke up to a bunch of inches, especially on the east side. It's supposed to keep coming down all day. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Laura, you probably have already shoveled your drive, right? I did my half. My husband hasn't done his half yet. <laughs> <laughs> but he did take the kids to school so that because they couldn't ride their bikes in this. So my yeah, half. he gets points. That's fascinating. All right, let's get going. Ohio lawmakers are pretty overt about being in the pockets of lobbyists, and they introduce legislation that harms Ohioans to help out industries that fund them all the time. Is that the reason a state senator is trying to cut taxes for the sports betting companies? Laura, this makes no sense to me. What's going on? Yeah, I know. Who is going to argue that sports betting companies are not making enough money? Because they're getting taxed on their winnings, which, let's be very clear, are Ohioans' losses. This is what you lose when you bet. And right now they're taxed at 20%. Most of that goes to K-12 education, both public and non-public, actually. and the thing is, it was 10%. It got raised just this summer. So now Senator Niraj Antani, he's a Miamisburg Republican. He recently announced plans to run for Congress. He wants to reduce it back to that 10%. So he introduced Senate Bill 190. I can't wait to see his campaign finance ref- uh, uh, forms the next time he turns them in. Well, <laughs> it's fascinating that he's running for Congress now, right? And he needs Mm -hmm. money. So he comes up with this thing that will not serve a single Ohioan to say, oh, it's too high. We we need to reduce it. This is a new industry. The industry's doing great. It's it's broken all sorts of records. The betting companies are raking in the money. Mike DeWine had put into the budget an increase from 10 to 20% because he thought they were getting off too easy. And, and here he raises his hand and says, no, I want to give money back to the betting companies at the expense of taxpayers. I guarantee you they'll fund him. They'll create a dark money campaign or something to fund his campaign for Congress. Who do you serve? You're right. not supposed we- to serve these guys. You're supposed to serve the taxpayer. This is just scummy. And there's nobody questioning it. And the, the legislature today, they just keep rewarding the people that buy them off and there's nothing being done. You know, we well, had I, the thing last week where they're going to do it with um, who, who's the rich? Who's who are they giving money to last week that we talked about? I literally cannot remember. It'll come <laughs> to me. <laughs> oh, vaping. They wanted yeah, right? tobacco they, companies. Right. The tobacco tobacco they're trying to, to make sure that that we can't regulate tobacco companies to stop little kids from using vaping tools and getting addicted to nicotine because, you know, the cigarette industry needs more money. It, it, <laughs> The thing is, he's not, I always say it's party over people in Ohio, right? But this is going against your own party. Your own party just passed the budget and the governor wanted to raise it to 20% and all the Republicans went along with it and raised it to 20%. So now a couple of months later, that was just June. You're saying, "Um, I want to roll back everything you guys just agreed to. And the reason they wanted to raise it to 20% because the betting companies weren't following the rules that DraftKings had mailed roughly 200 2,500 advertisements to Ohioans under the age of 21. They can't lawfully place bets. Barstool had hosted an event at the University of Toledo. That is against the rules. So these companies were pushing the envelope. And so DeWine's like, okay, 
you're not going to play by the rules. We're going to increase your taxes. Ohioans have bet $5.2 billion on sports just this year. And we haven't even gotten to like the playoffs of, of college football, right? And the Browns obviously were not in it by the time sports betting started in January. So we're going to go keep going up. Um, and we lost $700 million on those bets. So that means that's what the industry has made. And we tax them 10% for a while, 20% for a while. They are not hurting for money. Well, and you say you guys, he was part of the legislature that approved this. I'll bet if we go back and look, he didn't issue a peep in objection to this. It's only now when he's running for Congress and he wants money that he's doing something for a well-funded industry to make them even better funded. Again, on the backs of all of us, this is a legislature (laughs) that just keeps sticking it to regular people to take care of the well-funded people that come in and buy them off. You would have thought the first energy HB6 scandal would have taught them some lessons, but no, they just keep keep sticking it to the to the Ohio resident to help people out. You cannot issue one justification for this except that he wants money. He says that it's while it's going to affect sportsbook, it's going to trickle down to the betters via less favorable odds or stingier yeah, promotional right. offers. So he's saying that the betters need a better deal. So maybe he's a better and he just feels like he wants more like sign up and get 200 whatever free. Uh, but yeah, no, it is a very, very flimsy argument. This is why I lost faith in their government because the government just keeps sticking it to them. Rhode Island has a 51% tax. So yeah. maybe we can <laughs> compare that. Well, Mike DeWine will veto this, I bet, if it goes through. And then we'll have to see if they have enough people that want to give cash to the betting industry because of the publicity that brings in an election year. Next year is an election year. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, do we have a second Ohio legislator accused of violating a restraining order? What's the latest on the embattled Elliot Forehand? Yeah, the hits just keep on coming with this guy, and he's my representative, unfortunately. Uh, Cleveland Police Department finally released a report yesterday that was filed by Representative Juanita Brent on November 21st. She accused her colleague Elliot Forehand of driving by her Cleveland home after she sought a restraining order against him the day before. And so the police report says that a black F-150 Ford pickup resembling Forehand's vehicle, driven by a man resembling Forehand, drove very slowly down Brent Street, but didn't stop after seeing armed security outside. Um, And these security guys were there because of an earlier incident between Brent and Forehand in June. Uh, In June, Forehand came to Brent's house unannounced, knocked aggressively on the door. He ostensibly wanted help in responding to a hairdresser he confronted in the state house who was increasingly critical of him, and he got in her face too. Um, On the 18th of November, Forehand issued an apology to Brent over social media, sent blue flowers to the Cuyahoga County Democratic office. He denies that he drove by Brent's house. He says he doesn't drive a truck and he didn't go down her street. There are no charges yet, but the Cleveland Police Department is continuing its investigation. Well, these days, it's pretty easy to prove because somebody on that street, I'll bet, has a camera doorbell. So you'll be able to see, I bet, whether or not he went down the street. He's adamant that it wasn't me. I don't even have that kind of vehicle. Uh, but the police report is filed. We should point out the shamelessness of Justin Bibbs Police Department on this. 
We go to get police reports all the time and they hand them over as the state law requires them to. When we went to get this police report, they refused to give it saying, oh, it's an elected official. That's a different standard. You got to jump some through hoops to get it. And it took us a couple of days. That is ridiculous that Justin Bibb is giving a different standard to elected leaders versus regular people. That is not the way democracy is supposed to work. Shame on Justin Bibb for not fixing this immediately. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We had a story last week about unprecedented homelessness in Cleveland, which made us wonder whatever happened to the Cuyahoga County claim, it would eradicate long-term homelessness by 2020. The county obviously has not met that goal, but is there a program showing some success, Layla? Yeah, we're talking about permanent supportive housing. We've got this in Cuyahoga County, but it's also part of a national approach to solving homelessness. And this program serves single adults experiencing chronic homelessness, which is defined as as those who have a disability or who have experienced homelessness for a year or who have been without a home for 12 months over the last three years. And permanent supportive housing gets them settled into nonprofit-owned apartment buildings and then offers social services on site, which is really key to the success of this. And the largest providers of permanent supportive housing in our region is Uh, the Emerald Development and Economic Network, which is known as EDEN. They have 738 units right now, and more are being developed. The average stay at one of EDEN's housing units is 48 months. And after that, some tenants who are elderly move into nursing homes. Others are able to find housing outside of the program. And some do return to homelessness. But, um, you know, they, they say that those who have gone through this program are far more likely to remain out of homelessness. I was, this, it's fascinating this is coming up now because I read a great story in one of the national publications over the weekend about how Houston has really cut into homelessness, unlike most American cities. We're going to have to look at what they did. It sounded like it was a great cooperative effort to just build a bunch of places to, to have the homeless live, that, that everybody put aside their, their parochial interest in this and said, let's all focus on one goal. But it it would be interesting to look at that if they had success, because we've got 10 cities in Cleveland for the first time any of us can remember. And it's probably not very pleasant there right now with all the snow that's fallen. So so in in that case, did they was were wraparound services a big part of the solution there? What exactly? uh what what did what were they doing? Well, it it I'll have to go back and look at it more closely. But but the the gist of it was they they pushed away all the other stuff and just focused on building. That mm. that that all of the I think they basically eschewed wraparound services and just said, look, let's get the shelters built. And they focused all of that there. They worked with nonprofits, but. It, 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 and it compared it to other cities. Lisa, it, this is your former yeah. stomping ground. It's kind of nice to hear that Houston had a vision. But the story compared it to other cities that are not having, I mean, there are mm-hmm. cities in America having serious homeless problems right now, Chicago mm-hmm. and cities in California. But Houston apparently got people to work together. Well, that's a 180-degree turnaround from when I left seven years ago. There were huge homeless encampments under the freeway. And when I worked in the medical center, there were panhandlers on every corner living in the bushes along the creek. So they've turned around in seven years. Yeah, we'll have to look and see because that may be the model. I, I still, 
I always found the claim that we can end homelessness in three years that never rang true to me. I mean, it seems like you can never eradicate homelessness. You can help. You can do a great many things to reduce it. But end end it just seems like it's unclear really why why they thought they were on that path and then what derailed it. I mean, you know, what they were referring to was was a standard known as functional zero, which means that society has all the services and resources it needs to prevent long-term homelessness and that people are only homeless briefly while social workers connect them with some sort of housing. But they're they're not close to achieving that goal, and it's you know they blew past their their th- deadline three years ago. The the county estimates that about two hundred to three hundred people in the county are experiencing long term homelessness, which is pretty much what we were seeing in twenty seventeen when they announced that they were getting close to a solution. So, uh, and they can't blame COVID because no. COVID started in twenty twenty. They were planning to have it conquered by twenty twenty. And actually, during COVID, there were some really great solutions to to uh, sheltering people who were without ho- housing. I mean, they they had uh, hotel owners who were willing to open their doors and provide shelter. That was that was actually not a terrible time for um, for solving some of those issues and getting people off the street. But what has happened to their plan? Their their housing first plan? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to explore it some more. Yeah. You are listening to Today in Ohio. This one still rocks my world. I can't believe it's happening. Starting next week, Ohioans can legally grow marijuana. We're not in the growing season, though, so we'll have to be indoors. Lisa, is it hard? Reporter Laura Hancock published that answer. Well, it can be for beginners. It's not like just throwing some seeds in a pot and watering it. That's for sure. But as you said, starting on December 7th, adults can grow six plants for personal use. That would be up to 12 plants per household if there are two people there. Uh, The Cleveland School of Cannabis, which is a group that offers, you know, help for people in the industry, does have a course on how to grow weed at home. And so, you know, they talked about different things. But if you grow at home, a medium-sized healthy plant yields about a quarter pound of flower or buds. That equals about 224 joints. If you have six plants, that's about one and a half pounds yield and 1,344 joints. And they talked about most people who grow indoors will grow in hydroponics, which means without soil. So dirt versus hydroponics. Hydro requires you know, a lot of work. Although once you get the system set up, it's pretty much dummy proof. You know, you have your timers, your lights, your nutrients, and all that kind of stuff for an optimal crop. But if you're growing in dirt, you're going to have to constantly be amending your dirt and adding nutrients to the dirt. Uh, The Cleveland School of Cannabis, uh, Nicole Phoenix says that newbies should really start with soil first and then move on to hydroponics. As for outdoor versus indoor, uh, indoor is recommended for beginners where they can control the growing conditions. Outdoor plants do grow larger, but they're susceptible to pests, mold, and diseases. They need to be pulled out of the ground at the first frost, so you can't really, you know, grow in the winter. Um, Southern Ohio is better for growing outside, but you can do it here in Northeast Ohio. As far as seeds, how do you get the seeds? Uh, you can buy them online, or you can get them from another state that sells them, some hydroponic stores do have seeds for sale, but the legality of taking seeds across state lines is unclear. Some say that the 2018 Farm Bill makes it okay because seeds have negligible amounts of THC. Um, That bill legalized hemp growing in possession, but you can start with seedlings or clones from your friends. 
There's a guy in Parma Heights, Rory Miller. He owns Indoor Gardener, which is a hydroponics and gardening shop. And he's going to be offering rare seed varieties and cultivation guidance that you wouldn't get in your online orders. The thing that struck me in reading this story is that the, these plants are big. This mm-hmm. isn't like growing a uh, an herb on your windowsill. You're talking about big pots, five and ten gallons mm-hmm. of soil. So you have to have a lot of room to do this, right? I mean, you're going to have basically shrubs growing in your house if you grow these indoors, right? Well, and I've mentioned this before. I have friends that grew a crop a couple of years ago, like before the pandemic, and I think they had about a dozen plants in their basement. But it, but it probably took up a good part of their basement then, yeah, right? Yeah, they set up a room. I mean, you know, they, they had, you know, uh, controlled, they had controlled venting and exhaust and heating and everything. But yeah, it took up about a third of their basement, I guess. This is not like growing some basil for you no. tomato sauce. <laughs> That's a, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Who's the first CEO of the nonprofit that will be operating the West Side Market? And what's your background, Laura? This is Rosemary Mudry. She's the new chief of this independent nonprofit, Cleveland Public Mar- Market Corporation. She lives in Glenville. And there was a nation- national search for the most qualified candidate. She rose to the top of the list because of her wide-ranging experience. The board members said, basically, this is not just a regular nonprofit job. It's not a regular management job. You have to have a whole host of skills. And she exemplified that. So she's currently the executive director of West Park Cam's Neighborhood Development. She has worked with the old Brooklyn Community Development Corporation and at Ohio City Incorporated. She has a master's degree from Cleveland State in urban planning, design, and development. And she and her husband started a brewery in Shaker Heights, but she's not going to be concentrating on that. She's going to do the West Side Market as her full-time job starting in January. This was unexpected, I think. I uh, As the discussion about the West Side Market took place and putting it into private hands, there was a lot of talk about getting professional market management, looking at some of the other cities that have done this and the success they've had. So I was surprised that they basically got the head of a CDC to do it Mm -hmm. because that's not the background I think people were considering. On the other hand, this was a committee of very sharp and talented people, and they identified her as the best of the pack. So we'll have to see how she does. Yeah, I wonder where all the applicants came from, because a vendor said they had about 100 candidates and that a lot were applying because they love the market, which makes me think those are local people who know the market, not national search candidates who, you know, would have been picked from other markets elsewhere in the country, like Toronto or Vancouver or, you know, somewhere else. So, but she knows the market. She knows Cleveland. She obviously has experience in community development. So they liked her. They did six to eight interviews with a bunch of people and they chose her. So I wish her all the luck in the world. But when you say she knows the market, she knows the market in its failing state. And, and I just expected they were going to bring in somebody who had demonstrated a vision from outside. Again, we'll have to see. I just, this was not the, the background I was expecting for the first CEO. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Prosecutors have filed charges against a bunch of East Cleveland police officers in recent years in multiple cases. It's just been devastating to that city how many of the police look to be in trouble 
When they when do they go to trial, Layla? And what happened with one former officer on the eve of his first trial of the first trial this week? Well, to answer that question, Officer Nicholas Foti was supposed to go to trial Monday, but instead he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge and agreed to give up his police certificate so he can never be a cop again in Ohio. This guy stomped on a man's head during an arrest in 2020. The body camera footage from another officer on the scene showed that Foti struck the man's head twice and a a colleague reached out to stop him after the second time. And his lawyer tried to argue that Actually, Fody was trying to kick the man in the neck, but another officer knocked him off balance, so he accidentally hit the guy's head. Right, stop, so, stop oh. there. How how is one better than the other? Yeah, exactly. In that oh, in that case, oh, I see. All right, just kicking him in the neck yeah. while he's down <laughs> and probably in cuffs, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But uh, he is just one of eighteen current or former East Cleveland police officers who have been indicted since last August, and he's he's the fourth of them to plead guilty. A dozen of them are expected to go to trial as early as this week. That will include former Chief Scott Gardner, who's accused of misreporting his income from his security business and siphoning money from police union dues. Prosecutors want to also present evidence in his case um, from his prior conviction in 2014 on similar charges. In that case, Gardner was accused of scheming to avoid paying taxes on a cigar business and failing to collect taxes from his security business. So in, in presenting that evidence, they want to show that, yeah, he didn't do this by accident. This is his pattern of, of behavior. Most of the the other officers are charged in, in a single indictment that accuses 11 of them of crimes that range from felonious assault and civil rights violations to tampering with records and falsification. This is just evidence of how mismanaged that city is and the disservice being done to the people who live there. Uh, one police officer after another getting into trouble for victimizing citizens. I think by the end of this run, it's going to be a whole bunch of officers that go to jail, right? That's what it seems. I mean, I, 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 it's just astounding. What, what's going to happen to this police force? How, how is this going to ever turn around without, you know, federal involvement? Well, and on top of that, don't we have another mayoral recall there? I mean, every time they elect a mayor, it feels like a year later, there's a recall to, to get rid of the mayor. I think we have one of those coming up. They really missed their opportunity several years back when the city of Cleveland was interested in annexation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That would have solved so many of these issues. Yeah. It, they would, and the residents there would be better off and there'd be economic development there. Who, but they were so resistant because of some sense of, you know, identity that they didn't want to give up. Yeah. yeah. I, I can understand there's a lot of history in East Cleveland, but, but <laughs> the city was being so poorly run and so much corruption mm-hmm. and. It, Up to and including the chief. I mean, he's one of yes. the people that's charged, so. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We mentioned a few weeks back that a museum has opened in Akron about LeBron James. Mark Bono went through it after it formally opened Saturday. Lisa, what did he see? He saw a lot of stuff. He attended that Saturday opening of the LeBron James Museum at House 330 in Akron and includes a lot of like painstaking detail from this phases of his life and career. It Part of the museum recreates his Spring Hill apartment, number 602. It has a living room complete with TV tra- that have Ruffles potato chips on them. Um, there's a bedroom full of his trophies, sp- old sports magazines, and even an old 
you know, circa that era computer. Um, there's a recreation of his uh, high school locker room at St. Vincent St. Mary. There's a whole wall of shoes. Some of them were worn by LeBron during his career. There's also a wall of fan letters that he received over the years, and they'll be changing those letters out on a regular basis. So House 330 is on 532 West Market Street in Akron. It's open 9 to 5, Monday through Saturday. It's a $23 admission. Uh, free to kids under 5. There is free on-site parking. It is a cashless facility. And Akron Boosters want to point out that it's close to downtown, so you can go there to eat after you're done. Yeah, it sounds like it's worth a visit, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll I will make my way down there. It sounds Mark made it seem like a good experience. You're listening to today in Ohio. We caught up with a family of Ukrainian refugees that is in Greater Cleveland. Laura, how are they getting along? This is a lovely story from Molly Walsh, and these families fled Kiev, and they thought they'd be gone three or four days, maybe a week, when Russia invaded. They've never been back. Um, one family spent a, a months in Poland, but didn't speak any Polish, and they, they spoke some English. So they said, let's try to get to the United States. So these companies, sorry, these these people are refugees, and Global Cleveland, that's a nonprofit that works to connect them to support in Cuyahoga County are helping them get here. So they celebrated their first Thanksgiving. They were learning about American traditions and relied on American movies and TV for details. So I wonder what they've been watching, if they watched Christmas Vacation or Home Alone. I mean, some of these movies, they're hilarious, but um, don't necessarily show what people hope to happen at the holidays. And then they went to some traditional Thanksgiving dinners and they had turkey and they, they didn't recognize cranberry sauce. That was a new one for them. So I guess they normally have a duck uh, for a feast meal in Ukraine. And so they were going to stuff a turkey like they stuff a duck. What was interesting is they came here because they had some facility with English in the first country right. they were in. They, they just didn't have that ability. Right. In, in Poland, right? So they didn't speak Polish. So I guess that makes a lot of sense that if you can speak English, you try to go to an English-speaking com- uh, country. Somebody had family in Canada. They were there first, and then they came to the United States. I think Global Cleveland is really working with a lot of these agencies to help settle people here. And Catholic churches in the Cleveland diocese have sponsored families. I know our church sponsored one family and helped them get set up with an apartment and get the kids in school and everything like that. So I I love that Clevelanders are helping and reaching out and they seemed very settled and happy in Cleveland and looking forward to the holidays. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Finally, we have some good news of a sort out of the holiday weekend. Layla, what does the Ohio Highway Patrol have to say about the highway traffic during the high travel period? They say that Ohio saw the lowest number of fatalities on the roads of any Thanksgiving weekend for the past four years. Eight people died in seven crashes, which is absolutely terrible for those families. But but by comparison, last year, there were 19 fatalities in Ohio during the Thanksgiving reporting period, which is Wednesday through Sunday. And all troopers responded to a total of 396 incidents. That includes traffic stops in Cuyahoga County over the weekend. One of the crashes involved impaired driving, and out of the eight people who died, one person did not wear a seatbelt. 
four others were listed as having seat belts either not installed in their vehicles or they we the information was unavailable. Troopers also issued 526 safety belts and 181 distracted driving violations. So it seems that people are actually getting pulled over for distracted driving. <laughs> Not on my route. I drove to North Carolina and back during that period. I didn't see a single trooper, but I saw a whole lot of distracted drivers. Mm. Although I didn't see a single accident. I keep we keep reading that the troopers are have a heavy presence in Cleveland. I have yet to see one, but I guess they're issuing their tickets here. Well, good news that we had fewer deaths than we've had in a long time. Yeah. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That closes out Tuesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. Go shovel out of the snow. We'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs>